Hello, Annie Trenders. Before I get into our usual spiel, uh, I need to say this because we didn't do that in our last episode. Happy 2022. Happy New Year. Woo! Yep, we are in a new year. Very, very exciting for all of us. And yeah, for any of the old listeners, thank you for staying with us for so long, um, even though we're a year old, but thank you. And uh, for the new listeners, you know, welcome. So welcome to The Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the girl Taku today will be about parental presence in anime. It's been—it's a pretty consistent thing in stories with teenagers, in particular. So, I do want to point out this isn't just like an anime-specific thing, where parents don't really seem to play a vital role in the story. In fact, has very little effect to the actual plotline. But it is particularly clear in anime where there is a lot of teenager protagonists and not so not a lot of adult protagonists where either the parents are dead or they don't they just don't really have a place or effect in regards to the teenagers lives and um the protagonist lives as a whole and so today we are going to actually focus on anime in which the parents do play an active part or a very plot specific part to the story that has an effect on the characters lives rather than just them existing but not really you know having any sort of actions or you know say in things so with that being said with the start of a new year uh we are starting with you isabel so what are two anime that you've picked that you actually saw where the anime actually has parental presence and it has a point in the story yeah, for parental presence, I feel like I had a hard time searching for it because, like you mentioned, there's a lot of shows that don't have parents or they're just kind of, they just kind of appear and disappear. So we mostly get the protagonists in the story. But I did think of one, and the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, Death Note. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like Take Yasuma's us away. Dad. And he's not i don't know if he's like a good influence but more like he's very very involved in the plot and the yes. story mm -hmm. and he plays a very important part i feel I'm, I'm pretty sad for him because he is basically a member uh, he's basically a police officer and he has a very very strong sense of justice and throughout the kira investigation he firmly believes that his son is not kira but yeah so i feel like that kind of thinking that you know he wants to serve justice because that's his job and then not believing that his own son is doing all these things is just so heartbreaking to me i felt really sorry for him throughout the series um but i felt like it was a good it was a really good plot point because you're seeing what kira is doing what light is doing and then you're seeing what his dad's doing and the like this the lengths that he goes through to prove that his son is not the one because you know he's such a smart kid it's it's kind of re real in a sense too because i feel like a lot of parents would feel that way towards their kids and the amount of love that he has for him at, for light at least um i think it's really important sadly it's not really reciprocated and like could care a little bit less he i mean he loves his dad to a certain extent but i feel like in a way he also wants you know to get whatever he needs done so but yeah i just wanted to bring death note up 
I never thought about it in that context, but you're absolutely right that his dad does play a vital role. Because most people, when they think about Death Note, they just think about how Light is so very uh, God-complexy, and then think about all the other Mm -hmm. characters, but not necessarily the dad who's on the hunt for Kira. Uh, I think another thing as well is I was thinking it was ironic because you're right, uh, Light's dad has a strong sense of justice, and... In a way, you could say Light kind of inherited it from him. I even, think so. Yeah, like I think so. Yeah, yeah. like because it he has that whole when he first gets the Death Note, he's very like straight on. He doesn't debate on his choices about the Death Note. He's just like, I will kill anyone. I will play the executioner. I will play judge and make the world right. He says it like right off the bat, and I thought that was like very interesting for a character who makes such decisive choices. As a teenager, too. Right, right, exactly. And it's, like I said, it's ironic because it's a very bad form of justice compared to his dad, who is very much not trying to murder people and stuff like that. Right, but yeah. in his <laughs> eyes, that is justice, so... I mean, there's two sides of justice, right? There's the side of justice of the executioner and there's the side of justice that's about fairness, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. both have to play hand in hand, unfortunately. I mean, that's, that's all history is about is where can we execute true justice and ensure peace and harmony. Mm-hmm. Right. And I agree with you, Isabel, because about like feeling bad for the dad and stuff like that, which is really interesting, once again, showing how your perception changes as you grow older. Because when we all watched Death Note, I think we were all like teenagers and potentially maybe even younger, depending on when we discovered the anime. But, mm-hmm. you know, like when I watched Death Note, I was a teenager and I definitely like didn't really think about the dad at all in regards to how stressful this whole thing must have been and how like emotionally damaging it must have been for him because I was just like I want to figure out what's going to happen between light versus L you know who's going to win and who's going to lose you know sort of thing or and then at the very end be like oh I hope light gets his canumpus because he's a terrible person now (laughs) you know and re-watching it and I re-watched it because I saw the Death Note live action which do not watch nobody watched that that live action movie but <laughs> i saw it and i was like i need to rewatch the anime <laughs> and so- only watch the live action if you want to laugh but that's about it yes it was actually very funny there's there are hilarious comparison videos on youtube but i digress after i watched the live action one i went back and watched the animated version one because that obviously was the much much better one but my second time watching it, I was in college, aka I was an adult by then, and then I did notice the dad a lot more, and I did feel a lot more sympathy about him and, like, what he was going through, and, you know, he does love his son a lot, and it really, like, breaks his heart to know that his son is responsible for all these fairly atrocious things, even if, like, supposedly the people his son is killing is actually, like, not great people either, and so... And so my focus was a lot more on him. And it's like, and it's just another case of, oh, your perception really changes as you grow older. Because as a teenager, you didn't really care about the parents, but then you're an adult now. And even though, you know, I'm definitely like not married or a parent myself, but I am noticing the parents more and like feeling for them and empathizing with them. So I get what you are saying with this. And I also, Death Note is interesting because it, you wouldn't expect the parent to be involved because the the entire focus is it's supernatural. They're, the main character is a teenager. And I don't know, like supernatural anime with teenagers, like 
the parents aren't yeah. really a thing, so. Yeah, it's just so different. It could have been, you know, he could have been any other officer, like L, for example, who's totally unrelated, but that didn't happen. I think it just added more to the story because he was kind of the mediator between L and Light because he wanted to believe one side and he wanted to work for one side, but, you know, the other side is his son, so... I think it just made it way more interesting as, as a plot device, really. I agree. And mm -hmm. did we ever figure out what happened with Light's mom? I actually don't remember mentioning Light's mom at all. Do you guys remember at all? I, I have no uh, clue. I'll have honest. to look it up. I don't yeah. know, actually. Okay. Because I was going to say another interesting point about parental presence in anime, which, you know, this is actually very hard for you to find, Isabel, but a lot of times the parent if they do exist, even if they don't have like a big impact on the story, tends to be the mom because of the whole nuclear family, the stay at home mom sort of situation. It's yeah. very mm -hmm. rare to have like a dad presence unless the entire anime is focused on a single dad, which in this case, once again, is not the situation because the anime is not focused on him um, being a single dad. So the fact that you're able to find one where the protagonist is a teenager, it's a supernatural anime, and it's actually the mom that's missing instead of like the dad. I like I guess <laughs> pretty it's pretty unique in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. We usually only usually get the moms, but yeah, Agnes, did you find it or no? Uh, so it says in here that. His mom ends up getting kidnapped at one point. Wait! Oh, really? What? <laughs> I don't remember that. What? Oh, no, no, no. The sister. Uh, sister oh, sorry. yes, yes. I remember the sister. Uh, the yeah. sister. Sorry, I, I misread the names. I was like, what, what am I looking at? <laughs> yeah, so the mom, I think, plays more of a side character role as the housewife of the family. Oh, so she does so exist. <laughs> she does exist. Yeah, she's more... I think she's seen less in the anime and more so in the manga, but she's mainly taking care of the father who gets hospitalized, and also uh, the younger sister after the kidnapping as well. Interesting. Okay, wow. Yeah, so I don't... Yeah, so I don't think she... Yeah, she isn't... She she doesn't really play much of a role at all, but she does appear quite a bit in the dramas as well. Okay. Mm, okay. So in the, the film series uh, that's uh, that's from Japan and also the Japanese drama as well, uh, we, we don't we don't talk about the Netflix film. <laughs> right, right, right. It doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, well, now I know that the mom actually existed. I didn't know she existed. So <laughs> okay, so if that was your first pick, Isabel, and you said you had trouble finding one, so what, what did you manage to find for your second pick? <laughs> yeah, my second pick maybe is a little stretched, but the second one I chose is like on the totally opposite spectrum, I feel like, uh, but it's okay. from the, the disastrous life of Psyche K. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> Just thought of the parents who, like, it's weird that both parents are there, and it's even sillier that the both parents are really, really hilarious characters. They kind of take advantage of Psyche's powers for themselves. And, you know, they get into fights with each other. They're just super silly. They don't appear in all the scenes, but whenever their scenes do appear, I, I relate to Psyche so much and, you know, trying to deal with his parents. But I also find their his parents ridiculous with their requests and everything like that. And uh, the mom kind of plays more like a carefree role. She doesn't really care what's going on. Um, and... And I feel like Psyche does re respect his mother more than his dad. I feel like his dad has more of the wacky ideas at times. 
Um, but he, usually they're very excited. They, they, to me, they're actually very happy parents to see their son. Um, but their son, not so much them. <laughs> <laughs> Every teenager ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just so weird to me because they're so normal. And then Psyche is like, you know, this is genius. And then he has these superpowers. So the fact that, you know, his parents aren't, don't have that type of power or anything like that is just so odd to me. And I think it adds to his character because this is, it adds to his background a little bit, right? Because if he was like a kid or a teenager without any parents, like we see in other shows, I feel like I wouldn't really take him for granted, kind of. I would kind of question, I would want to know where he came from, right? And they do give it to you. This is what his parents are like, and that's how it is. So it's just easier for me to accept that. And then also just want to see what what his parents will ask for him to do next. I forgot. Did they ever explain how he was born with powers from two, like, normal as in no magical powers parents? <laughs> I'm, like, certain there's an episode on that, but I have probably forgotten it. But I do feel like it's just something like, you know, he was just born and then he just ex- he just started uh, showing these powers as he was a baby. And I think he does go through this multiple times where he explains, yes, I used to do this, but now I don't do it anymore because of the attention I get. Because- <laughs> right. <Whoa. Yeah. laughs> Like, hey, can you just, you know, teleport me over there or something? And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it for you again because this happened in the past. So it's interesting to see how Psyche learns from these experiences in the past, whether it's dealing with his parents or dealing with, you know, other strangers and what they ask of him. And that's the reason why he tries to keep such a low profile at school and tries to not attract anyone towards him and, you know, avoids them by using, um, by using his powers to just avoid all situations, and try to be as normal as possible, but he really can't. Yeah, no, he, he can't. He, he has bright pink hair, like, come on. So. <laughs> True protagonist vibes. <laughs> that being said, though, uh, the minute you said Psyche can't, I was like, oh, you're right, because the parents are pretty consistent characters. They show up a mm-hmm. lot in the series. I think there was, like, an entire, like, mini arc focused on how, like, he had to go back to the past and make sure his parents meet because he accidentally disrupted something oh. in the timeline mm-hmm. and he had to fix it because, or else, like, if they didn't meet, they like, he would never exist and, like, the <laughs> timeline would get all messed up and so- <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember that very well. I, I mainly remember that because I because you know how Psyche King can get very meta at times and breaks the fourth wall and so okay. he'll start so it's like the narration was just like, Oh, this wouldn't make sense anymore if they don't meet up, so they have to meet up and so <laughs> So that's what I remember the most out of it. But yeah, I, the parents in Psyche K are genuine characters with a lot of quirks and a lot of personality and have a very active life in their crazy or I guess their son isn't crazy, but like his powers are crazy. Um mm-hmm in psyche's life so yeah but they are parents you know they do care about their son a lot i just love the little scenes where like his dad wants him to do something and psyche's just like no i'm not gonna do that that's ridiculous but but his dad knows that psyche is a sucker for the coffee jelly so he will go and get that coffee jelly for him just to get him to do uh, just to get his son to do what he wants wow <laughs> yeah I just like those little quirks thing, right? So it's like the little things that you remember as a parent and a child and that just like, even though the bond is not, you know, it's exactly equal, but you get something for someone else and try to get them to do what you want them to do. 
It's kind of cute, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Also, parental bribes. Parents absolutely do bribe their kids. So. <laughs> yep, I, I, I do remember that as a kid growing up. Yep. Yeah, the only sad part is when they bribe you and they, you don't get it. Like, I remember my mom would probably bribe my sister. Hey, we're going to go. I don't know why she liked this, but she really liked going to Nanny Nine Ranch. So, okay. Her, so was like, oh, you have to eat dinner faster so we can go to Nanny Nine. And my mom and my sister would eat faster. But then we just wouldn't go. <laughs> it yeah it, it do be like that it do be like that <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i mean parents do have that power so <laughs> did your sister start calling her bluff after a certain amount of times <laughs> yeah she did she you know kids are smart they figure it out and they're like nope i i i, saw, I heard that last time we didn't go so um, you're gonna have to try something different this time that be true <laughs> very smart younger sister <laughs> all right so i think those are two really good examples oh yeah actually one last thing if i remember correctly psyche's dad is an author is that correct uh i'm, I'm actually not too sure he does have the look of an author for sure you know like with his glasses and everything i think um, i think i just remember it being kind of like like not an office job for sure i feel like mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember. Was there something with the author? Like, did he write a book, do you remember, or something? Or I don't know why I keep thinking he's an author, but it was just, I know he didn't have an office job, which at, like, a certain point, it makes sense when you learn more and more about uh, Japanese culture, because office jobs or corporations have a lot of say over, like, where you go and what you do, and so... Uh, and this is like an overall thing, like FYI, people listening, I highly suggest you guys to follow Unseen Japan. They do a lot of cultural dives and historical dives about things in Jap Japan. They're written by people who are living in Japan, whether they're Japanese Americans or Japanese people or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, these people know what they're talking about. And one of the things that they've often highlighted is how corporate jobs have such a big say over people's lives that they can essentially demand you to move to a different place within a week to work at a different headquarters. And it doesn't matter if you have like kids or you're married or you're taking care of someone like, so for example, an elder elderly person who is dependent on you. It doesn't matter. They can order you to do that. And there's even like a recent court case where a single dad actually sued a company because the company wanted him to like move to a different place within like a few days. And he was like, oh. I can't do that because I have a daughter I need to take care of. And I have an elderly mother who is dependent on me. And then they fired him. And so he sued the company basically being like, you cannot do this to someone like me. And the courts actually sided with the company. So, whoa, really? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, and so I was wondering about his uh, Psyche's job because I'm like, you know, Psyche's dad is always there, you know, like he plays a big role. And if and I was like, and I think that has to do with the fact that he doesn't have an office job where a corporation can just sort of demand him to move somewhere else to work. And so he has like a little more flexibility in saying where he gets to be. So I'm like, it makes sense like that he gets to like be really involved with this kid's life and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> Right. I actually just looked up. Looks like he's a manga editor. So ah, not okay. Exactly corporate, corporate. But I feel like he could definitely take some time off and you know mess around with psyche. But I feel like as an editor, you kind of you have more flexibility in a sense. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. At least definitely not to the point of the other jobs, like the one with the poor uh, single father who actually mm -hmm. got fired because 
he can't just move like that because he has a kid and an elderly mother that he has to take care of. Oh, so, so yeah, mm-hmm. no, it was really upsetting. And um, and I think the court's decision was because they decided that he could still, quote unquote, take care of those two dependents while being physically apart from them, which makes no sense in my head. So um, I don't know where they came up with that conclusion, but that's a whole other thing. So um Thank you for sharing those, Isabel. I'm glad you were able to find two as hard as it was. And now we are passing the baton to you, Agnes. Did you have trouble finding anime with the parental presences? Did you think it was a little easier? And, you know, which two did you find? I was thinking about it for some time and I thought to myself, it's actually harder to find a parental presence in Slice of Life Mm. rather than a parental... Because I feel like parental presence in anime is more common in the action genre yes in the sense that it's either a family parent who leaves behind a legacy Mm -hmm. for you to inherit or they're dead (laughs) yeah yeah i agree i agree yeah (laughs) yeah because like you have stuff like a hunter x hunter where uh, Gon's entire destiny or entire events is influenced by his father who goes out to take a hunter's license um, but then you have stuff like Aaron in Attack on Titan where his mom is dead by the first episode. So <laughs> I wanted to kind of step away from that and look at it from the slice of life genre. And As a note, real quick, Gong's dad sucks. He's the worst father in anime history. Okay, continue. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to talk about Hunter x Hunter because I haven't finished it that far yet, but that's what I know the extent of. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is actually from a very underrated show that I actually enjoyed quite a bit because it's very quirky. It's called The Eccentric Family. And it's a, it's about a supernatural family that lives in Kyoto, uh, specifically a family of tanukis. And they have to live and coexist in a society where there is an integration of humans, tengus, and other supernatural creatures that live beside them. The tanukis are creatures in Japanese yokai folklore that are very mischievous. They don't have any particular ties to anything and they're known and they're regarded as kind of foolish compared to many of the other supernatural creatures in Japanese folklore that are wiser or craftier. And in the process of this show, this family of tanuki is I think four sons and a mother and a father and their father used to be the head of this like tanuki association society that they have in Kyoto but he is uh eaten by the humans in Kyoto they basically kidnapped him and boiled him for hot pot <gasps> so the story <laughs> uh, so the, so the, so, the, so the story starts off with the four brothers trying to struggle to come to terms with that their father who used to be the head of this tanuki society that they have is now gone and their mother is the person that i want to highlight um uh tosin shimogamo who actually embodies the role of both the male and the female in the family when she is in her male form, because Tanuki are capable of shape-shifting, she has a, she shapeshifts into a human form, and she has two human forms. One of the first human form is a very mass masculine type of role. She's known as the Black Prince, and she works at a pool house. So she basically goes there and bets on pools, and she intentionally dresses up like a prince, like an entire regal, like uniform regalia of sorts. Her hair is really short, and she adopts a much deeper and a much more like orewa kind of tone. Um, and it reminds me a lot of like the Tarukaza, a review, uh, retinue, 
inspiration that she has, especially with all the colors that she wears on her uniform. And it shows that she's kind of like trying to play like breadwinner of the family, sort of, while the rest Mm -hmm. of her sons are kind of like scrambling to do odd jobs, especially the main character, Yasaburo, the third son, who's trying to make ends meet by doing a lot of odd jobs and odd favors for people. And yet, at the same time, Tolson also embodies a very motherly figure. When she is with her sons, she actually wears like the housewife smock that you usually see in Japanese anime, the apron. And she tries to keep the, she's the only thing that glues the family and keeps them together while they kind of way through this turbulent time. And I thought that was just really cool how they highlight her as both uh, a very manly role of like the quote-unquote breadwinner, which is very stereotypical of a nuclear family role, and also as the mother who tries to take care of her sons. And her sons are all, and all of her sons are very discombobulated. Uh, one of them is a recluse that had accidentally self-imposed himself into exile and turned himself into a frog so he can no longer change back. Uh, another one has severe anxiety but is trying to become the next head of the tanuki clan but is entirely a klutz but very protective of his brothers and then the youngest one is a is like he's like a kid right he's he's very young he's like less than 10 he has uh when he hears loud noises his tail like pops out and so he has to like struggle to hide it (laughs) but yes the family's very strange and very eccentric, but it's great. Okay, first of all, the premise has traumatized me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's really funny because the, the airing of the show is, the air that it gives off is very comedic. Um, but yeah, you're right. Your father turning into hot pot is pretty traumatizing. I'm just like, when you said it, I was like, that's how it starts. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, that's how it starts. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, first of all, the little tidbit about um, what is it called? The ta- Tanizaki, the review, what you were saying, how the, the retinue, like the uniform. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. And I think the fact that the uh, Tanoki mom or the mom character has to embody that. And because symbolizing the fact that she literally has to embody the original like breadwinner status which is usually left for the men obviously not the case anymore as culture is changing but i think still very much expected in a lot of countries especially in japan uh which the nuclear family is still very like put on a pedestal Mm -hmm. so the so i thought like that in itself was really really clever and i think it's just a really good way of being artistic and creative while like having an impact on the story. So I'm glad you mentioned that, even though I will be thoroughly traumatized for the rest. It's a great show. It's a really <laughs> stupidly charming show, even though this premise starts off like that. How were you not horrified when you watched this? It's the colors and the way that the anime presents itself that makes it look really cute that you're not traumatized oh, at all. Like, it's okay. it's a completely different spin on things. The way that I'm describing it to you may sound like something dark, gritty, which is usually what I go for, but it's actually not. You look up the visuals, it's not at all. Everything's very vibrant and colorful. I guess it's like one of those uh, black comedy moments where like everything is set up to be really funny and like colorful. And stuff, yeah, but then yeah. when you really think about it, you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Isabel, what did you think about this uh, family, this eccentric family? <laughs> Yeah, the whole time Agnes was talking about it, I was just looking it up and looking at the pictures. I agree with you. It looks very, very colorful. 
colors it's of cute, the, isn't it? family is just different colors, right? I'm just curious, yeah. like, is the rest of the... There's, like, a lot of family members in this poster I'm looking at. Are they all, like, yes. they're all, like, their own character and they're... Yeah, they're all their own characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they all contribute to the story. And then they also have some... There's a family that is engaged to one of the characters. Oh. And there's uh, some Tengu that are involved. Tengus in the show are considered top dog in the Kyoto... Uh, in the general Kyoto yokai society. So oftentimes, the Tanuki are forced to kind of bend to the whims of the Tengu. There's a mysterious human named Benton who has powers that she kind of abuses over the society oh, as well. No. Um, <laughs> um, but you'll understand why she has powers and that she is a very interesting character, but also inherently very selfish. How fun. <laughs> I agree with your point as well, by the way, on like how it's harder for slice of life, because even when you said it or even when I was choosing mine, I also purposefully try to go for more slice of life ish ones. And I'm like, yeah, they're not they're not really playing a role in those like they're just sort of there. So uh, I so I'm really glad that you purposefully sought out those particular uh, series, which leads to my second question. Did you find a second one in the more slice I of did. life? Okay, which what oh. did you find? Sukeroko uh, from uh, Rakugo Shinju. Oh, yes, because we have to talk about it. Okay, <laughs> we have to we have to address okay. the issue. Please that proceed. He's not a good parent. Proceed. <laughs> um, Tsukeruko is not a good parent <laughs> in general. Um, he ran away, or not ran away, he stepped down from fame from being a Rakugo storyteller, eloped with a woman who has a very toxic relationship with, and birthed a child in the middle of a shack. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say the least, Tsukeruko is not the greatest dad. However, he is very important to the anime plot. Actually, he's the main thing that ties people together in the whole thing. The whole story of Shin- Rakugo Shinju would have never happened without Sukeruko in the center of this mess. Yakumo would never have had his bout of depression uh, regarding his guilt for Sukeruko and for Konatsu. Konatsu would never have that drive to become a Rakugo storyteller and have conflict with Yakumo. And um, the, uh, the, the real main male character, what's his name? It's... Um, Gracie, you should know it. Isabel too. Well, what's it? What's his name? Are we talking about the second core, or are we talking? I mean, the second season or the first season? Because they kind of like switch the main characters. Uh, sorry, second season then. Yotaro, right? Yotaro, yeah. yeah. And Yotaro would not have had, would not have inherited, would not have had found his style if it wasn't for him impersonating after Sukeroko. So, to say the least, Sukeroko is very relevant to. Uh, Rokugo Shinju, no matter how much you try to spin it as uh, he's kind of a, a main character who disappears by season two. I have a question for you, Isabel. Do you yes. agree? Oh, Isabel. Uh, <laughs> Agnes is now Isabel, guys. But <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Do you no, agree with Agnes's assessment in that Sukuruko is not a good dad? It's a hard. Didn't he leave technically, like, even before? They were like the his his child was born. Am I yeah right? So he didn't really have a chance to be a dad. I want to say 
That's what I've. No, he did because he entertained Konatsu at one point when he was oh, right. when she was a child. He did too. She would she would hear her dad perform rakugo in like a little shanty shack mm-hmm. with some customers, and she was there to pick up the coins for him. Right. So I think he's like a very good influence, but I don't think as a I would agree with Agnes saying like he's not very like he wasn't present most of the time, or rather, I feel like he he just kind of did whatever he wanted to do. Yeah, that's my impression of him. Yeah, he's. Uh I think. Well, the reason why I ask is he's complicated as a parent is the thing because yes, he does adore his daughter. He showers her with a lot of love. I mean, this is why Konatsu held on to his memory all the time, all the way into the second season because when she thinks of her dad, she remembers him loving her, you know, and like hugging her and kissing her and like sleeping with her. Like I, I remember like one of the cute screenshots I took was like her sleeping on him while they were napping together and stuff. But Sukeriko is a really good representation of a parent who does love their kids and would do anything for them, but they don't have their own lives together. And as a result, because their own life is so messy and they're like, because they are struggling with their own thing, which results in a lot of instability. And, you know, uh, Agnes mentioned briefly, like not a lot of money, you know, Um, it does cause a lot of trauma and, you know, sensitivity in the child growing up because they grew up in an environment that was still unstable, even though with every intent and motivation, the parent does love them. And this is like, this is a different kind of parent. It's not like, like one of those abusive parents, you know, who, either physically abuses or emotionally abuses their kids. No, like he he does not do that at all. But his mistake still has effects on his child because his life is so messy and he can't seem to get it together. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I wanted to bring that up as an example of parental influence on children that is both partially good and also detrimental as well. Yes. Because it shows that Tsukeruko is not the stable parent compared to a lot of other anime shows where it shows like the nuclear family and the nuclear family model is supposedly, and as history proves it, stable. And why a lot of countries still cling onto that nuclear family mold. However, with a father like Tsukeruko who kind of like goes off the rails, he doesn't really care about making money and he's kind of a hobo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Konatsu never really has a stable life until she finally lives and moves in together with ya- with uh, Yakumo that she's able to, you know, kind of grow up, although with a lot of resentment and try to find her footing as being like a working woman and things like that. So Tsukeriko was never a fantastic influence in that sense. Yeah, like it's it's all shades of gray, you know, emotionally, he yeah. was a great parent in that regard. But, you know, in regards to a lot of the not technical, but like the logistical stuff, like he wasn't his life was messy. He was messy. So his life was messy. And because his life was messy, his own daughter grew up in a very messy childhood, which affected a mm-hmm. lot of things. But the good news is that anime does have actually a good example of a parent because Yotaro, the main character, was an amazing oh, dad. He's a great parent. He's, yeah. great parent. Mm-hmm. he's so he, uh, you know, with the end, with the way that Rakugo ended with the hint of one of their children not actually being Yotaro's, but he still takes it anyway. Is so nice. <laughs> it's so. Uh, I don't think it was even a hint. Like Yotaro knew that Konatsu's first child, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, wasn't like. In fact, I. I distinctly remember that because it was the episode where he offered to marry her because he was like he knows that she's going to get a lot of shame if she like has this kid without a husband 
And at least in his eyes, like they weren't romantically in love yet. But he was like, I do know I love you as a person. You know, I don't know if it's romantic or not. But, you know, I, I know I have. these. Oh, that's right. Like yeah. I have these intense emotions for you. So, you know, and I definitely don't mind being with you for the rest of my life. And, you know, we clearly know each other really well. So why don't I just marry you? And, you know, then you don't have to face the shame of, you know, having a child out of wedlock. You know, we'll just say that the child is mine sort of thing. And he's such yeah. a good dad. Oh, my gosh. The epilogue makes him look like such a good dad, too. He loves both his kids so much, so dearly. I know. It's so cute. Um, I and the, It's like, I knew maybe this is just another episode of me gushing over how great this anime is. But it, the last episode <laughs> when his son... Uh, was going to perform for the first time and he was like really nervous and stuff um, Yotaro walks in and at first his son was doing the whole professional sort of round because his dad is essentially his senpai per se in regards to the Rakugo world where hierarchy is very important and so he was talking in Kegel and being very respectful to his dad and stuff like that. And then he, and then Yotaro was like, it's okay. It's just the two of us right now. You can you don't have you can drop that sort of pretenses. And so and immediately like his son's face just changes and he looks so nervous and he's just like, Dad, I'm so scared. And I'm just like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that anime is great. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> Okay, but I'm I'm really glad you did point that out because I, I actually think Sukaruko is actually a pretty rare parent to be portrayed in anime because you're right, anime usually, they either have really good parents or they have really bad parents as in they become physically or emotionally abusive. But in Sukaruko's case, once again, he's not abusive at all to his daughter. He loves her a lot and he makes clear of that, of how much he loves her. It's more of his own other mistakes that makes life difficult and that's a really hard subject to portray, you know, because people can mm -hmm. people like to sort of put other people in boxes of good and bad, good parent or bad parent. But Sukeriko is like an example of a bad parent ish, but not completely in a way that you can just put him off as a bad parent. So, right. And there's there's a far bigger majority of messy parents and discombobulated families rather than truly abusive and cruel parents. Like, the the percentage that you'll see, like, on the news about parents, you know, like, lock their children in the basement and stuff like that is actually a rare percentage because it's just, it's just because the news tends to sensationalize them compared to actual parents who are just really messy and not ready to be parents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's the sad part is that that's the majority of messy families, especially like Asian immigrant families as well, where a lot of them are peer pressured by society to have nuclear family units, um, maintain family lineage and things like that too. Wow, you went there. <laughs> you really went there. I, I mean, this is a Japanese anime. It's going to show up regardless. There is, a, we talk about, we already talked about nuclear families this entire, I don't know, 40 minutes into the episode yep. now so i'm gonna bring it up yeah yeah no i i and what's sad is i've seen it before my eyes you know growing up yeah. in an area where it was all chinese immigrants like there are real people i know who had kids but they didn't really want kids but it was like the expectation to have kids and stuff like that and it's hard it's really hard so for sure yeah all right. Well, it is my turn now. And just like you, um, I actually also, just like you, Agnes, I also tried to look at slice of life anime. 
because I thought it was harder and I like myself a good challenge. So the good news is <laughs> I found one. The bad news is I only okay. found one. So I didn't oh. find a second one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the first one I picked is actually Hori Mia. Okay. Mia. Okay. All right. Yes. Hori's parents in particular actually do show up a lot. And there's a, there's some, so there's like a more serious part I want to talk about. And then there's like the funnier part that I like to talk about. So the, I'm, I'll start with the funnier part. The funnier part is how much like Hori's dad adores uh, Miyamura and like wants him over all the time and stuff. And that part is really cute to me because I actually also, when I was growing up in that Chinese community, know a, uh, know a grandfather who was like that. So he adores his son-in-law, like, and his own, like, his own uh, wife would talk about it when, you know, we have our potlucks and get-togethers and stuff like that. Like, any time he hears, like, his son-in-law was about to come over for the holidays, she's, like, his eyes, like, brighten, and he's, like, humming the whole day, <laughs> and he's cleaning up the place, and he's just so, so excited to see his son-in-law. And so having, like, that personal story in the back of my head, I just found it really, really adorable horrible at how uh, Hori's dad is just so excited about Miyamura and like wants him over and basically was like I approve of you too <laughs> you know sort of thing but the more serious side of it was um and unfortunately the anime actually cut uh, some parts of this out in its adaptation but when his when Hori's dad came home everyone was shocked including his own wife and the reason for that is actually because of what I had mentioned earlier about Japanese culture, which is the fact that his um, Hori's dad was sent away by the company a very last minute to do work somewhere else, which is why it's just been um, Hori's mom who's taking care of everything at home and Hori's dad not actually at home. And he was gone for like two years before his company finally let him come back. And you kind of see the effects of that as well. For example, like even though Hori loves her dad, she doesn't really call him dad because it's been her mom who's taking care of everything. Obviously, her mom is a and there's this was another key episode for Hori as well was the mom was also a workaholic or not even workaholic, but the company was very demanding that even when her own kid is sick, they wouldn't let her stay at home to look after uh, Hori, they basically made her go in. And so and it left Hori alone, which is why um, there was that pennant where there was that episode where Miyamura just like casually confesses to her, like because she was sick and he came in to check on her. And so you actually, uh, Hori Mia actually shows the effects of these things in the Japanese business culture and how it can be very detrimental not only to the parents but also to the kids because you know you watch Hori Mia Hori's parents love her like you know that they're really silly they have their own personalities and they're like totally invested in their daughter's like own relationship but it's uh, it was a thing that Hori's mom is never home because her, her because her work was forcing her to not be able to stay at home with her kids despite the fact that she is raising two and then there's also Hori's dad doing the same thing and so basically like I thought that was a really important part of Hori Mia that was really good for it to show up and um and so that was my first highlight of uh Hori Mia both of you guys watched the anime right (laughs) yeah I read a good chunk of the manga oh okay yeah I, I I know I think a decent amount and I, yeah, I didn't really think about the effects of it because I thought of Horimi as well, and I was, and I just thought that his her father is mostly away, so I kind of 
put in the category of the parent is mostly away. But you're right that when he does show up, it's kind of special in a sense, especially because you want to see him interact with Miyamura and how he kind of <laughs> sizes Miyamura up, right? Like, is, right. <laughs> is this the man for my daughter or what? Um, <laughs> yeah. That was one of the funny, and there was that part where he was like, I don't want you to date guys with long hair. Hori's just mm-hmm. like, have you looked at yourself? And so, <laughs> yeah, no. I think the anime decided to go with the lighter note with the parents, even though, like, they are still very much involved. But I, but yeah, it's just like, it did show that effect. And also with how busy the mom is, and despite the fact that she was basically raising a kid on her, two kids on her own, because her husband literally was not allowed to be with her because he got forced shipped out to another place. So, um, you know, culture, guys, that is the thing. And that is uh, the issue. But I am I am glad that Horimiya covers like both sides of the coin in regards to it, because we do have two parents who are working, who love their kids a lot. And then we also have two parents who sometimes get forced away a lot because that's just how work is and they are both working corporate jobs they aren't it's not like a kakushigodo situation where the dad is a manga writer and he kind of gets to set his own schedule and his own hours which once again was actually a point made in the anime where he said he likes that because he's able to do that so he can raise his kids so so yeah so that is my first pick my second pick is not a uh, slice of life anime like i had already mentioned but um, it's, it's actually one of the animes we discussed in the last episode. But I also uh, picked Jobless Reincarnation to talk about again. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's do it. So I think Jobless Reincarnation does a really good job of showing flawed parents who are trying their very darn hardest to support their children to be good to their children and for the effects to not come out correctly and one of so one of the uh so so actually two of the episodes um but one of the episodes that actually made me cry surprisingly to me because i was not expecting it was with roxy and her parents oh wait uh is this spoiling you isabel oh no it's fine Okay. Yeah, you can go ahead. Okay, sorry. So, bas- so ro- we find out Roxy's um, parents haven't seen Roxy for years, and it sounded like she just went off on an adventure. And it and like when we first meet the parents, it's almost like the parents are like, "Oh my gosh, she never comes back to visit us." So it sounds like you know your kids have gone off to college and they've <laughs> lived their own lives and they're not coming back because they're living their own lives, sort of thing. But then when we get to Roxy's point of view, we realize it's completely a different situation. So in the second core of uh, or the second core of Jobless Reincarnation, they actually reveal that in a way, Roxy is kind of like disabled because her species of um, people can all um, can all speak telepathically and she is unable to do so. She cannot hear thoughts. She cannot send out thoughts. And so that made her feel really, really ostracized as a kid. And her parents figured that out when she was really young before she even figured it out that she was missing a core element of communication 
that her species of people have. And they hid it from her. So they would always talk out loud to her and they would always like and they would always like communicate with her like physically with their mouths and stuff like that, which is actually not common to their community. Their community is they just talk and speak telepathically. And so it wasn't until when she was when she got old enough to go out and play with other kids that she realized they were trying to talk to her and she can't hear a single word. And she can't talk back to them because they don't understand why she's using her mouth. They, they're they expecting her to, te- to, to speak back telepathically. And that really, really hurt her and shook her entire world. And she also felt really betrayed that her parents would just hide that aspect of her from her for so long. And to the point that she actually ran away from home. It was not a, oh, the kids went off to college and now they're living their own lives and they're not, they're not coming back situation. It was literally she ran away. You know, like when you see that episode and you figure that out, you cannot say that those parents had that her parents had bad motivations. In fact, her, their entire decision to like try to make her feel as normal as possible was stemmed in a lot of love and a lot of consideration for her. But it was in a way that didn't really think about her and what she would have wanted and what she would have preferred. And so the episode where she comes home and things are just really stilted between them because her parents are ecstatic to see her because they haven't seen her for so long since she ran away. She still feels like that sort of betrayal from them. And there was like a scene where after where she just tries to leave again and basically said that she wasn't coming back. Her mom tried to be accepting and was like, you know, oh, you're your own person now so you can live your life and stuff. But then her mom couldn't hold back any longer and just started to cry. And I like started to cry with the mom because it's like I felt so bad for her parents in that moment because they really thought they were doing the best thing for their daughter who is essentially suffering from a type of disability but instead they've really, really hurt her mentally and emotionally. And so, and I was like, that is just such good nuance telling of good parents who genuinely love their kids and want to do the right thing to them, but just don't manage to do it because parents make mistakes. Parents are flawed. And so that was like one really, really good episode in Jobless Reincarnation. And that was a single episode and it had like such a powerful effect. There, the bigger arc that I think most people who are listening who have seen Jobless Reincarnation would expect me to cover is um, in regards to uh, Rudy's dad. He like ends up fighting with Rudy a bit and I won't go into too much details about that because I think that one is also better if watched and it's also a much bigger overarching arc per se. But that was also another good example with Rudy's dad because even speaking from the um, first season, I'm not going to comment on the whole, like, his dad, like, sexually assaulted the maid thing. Like, that's that's not okay, and that's not something that I want to discuss on, and it kind of goes in line with a lot of the other problematic elements of jobless reincarnation that I have. But the one thing I did actually like that I, I think I was in the minority of liking is when the dad actually cheats on the mom. Not because I support cheaters, but because cheating happens it happens in marriages and just because a parent cheated doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad parent which is a really really hard thing for a lot of people to understand and come to grips to but it is unfortunately the truth and I'm not saying it from like my family's experience my parents are together and for all I know like you know none of that happened but I actually do 
know a family friend who was not a great spouse, per se, but they were a really good parent. They were such a good parent that, like, kids who had no blood relations to him, so they belonged to his exes and his exes' uh, previous uh, previous marriages, they would rather stay with him because he was just that much better of a parent despite not being the best husband. And so, and so I really liked that aspect of jobless reincarnation where, you know, the dad cheats on the mom and it really, really sucks. And that was a very terrible move on his part. But it doesn't change the fact that he's still really attentive and loving dad who adores his kids and, you know, like wants to raise them, wants to tutor them and wants to do everything he can for them. And so, yeah, Jawless Reincarnation, I think like one of his strongest points is their ability to write really flawed and nuanced like parents and have a really large effect to the story per se. So I don't know if you agree with me on this at all, Isabel, since I do know you watched the first season. Um, but that's like how I feel. <laughs> no, yeah, I definitely agree agree that like they have like I really like how Jobless Reincarnation incorporates the parents and then has that relationship between them as well. And I think what you said about Rock especially Roxy's arc is um really important, even if it's short. It just shows, you know, parents are not always they don't always know what to do or know what's best for a child, especially if maybe their only child or their oldest child, right? Mm -hmm, so yeah. you see a difference between having one child versus having, you know, other uh, many other children and how you interact with them. So I agree. I, I actually thought you were going to go uh, for Rudy's dad and stuff like that, but I was more surprised when you went with Roxy's. And but I totally see the point as well, because I feel like, you know, uh, you think of one thing and another person thinks of one thing, but with these two relationships, whether it's between like a parent and another parent or between the parent and the child, it can be really different uh, depending on what they think and what they think is best for their children or what's best for themselves sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And usually it does lean towards the children as well. But yeah, go ahead. And that's the majority of what happens with spouse fallouts in family is that the spouses don't see eye to eye to each other. So when one spouse cheats for another person, it's usually because that other person can potentially accommodate for their immediate needs rather than the immediate their actual spouse does. And so that becomes a weird, tricky balancing act of, do I need to be a healthier, do I need to, or do I need to look out for myself? Do I need to satisfy my needs? Or do I need to keep, you know, slaving away at this relationship that I know doesn't work out even though it's on paper? Yeah, it's just like, it is really difficult. And, you know, this goes back to what I was saying again, where, you know, I think people it's easier to put people into black and white boxes because it's just there's less things to think about. But, you know, whether we like it or not, sometimes, you know, like it does it suck and make them a bad spouse if they cheat? Yes, absolutely. Does that automatically make them a bad parent? Actually, no, it doesn't. And um, and Rudy's dad really embodies that. And then in Roxy's in Roxy's parents case there. That's not there's no cheating scandal between the two of them. But it's another case of really, really loving and well-intentioned parents who, yes, and you're right, uh, you're right, Isabel, like, that was their first child. Um, and so, like, they're first-time parents and immediately first-time parents to essentially a disabled child. Like, yeah, like, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to make mistakes out of love, of all things. They're going to make mistakes. And, you know, it makes them human is all it is. So, yeah. 
Well, I think that covers our parental presence anime episode and in regards to anime where the parents have an actual say and have an actual effect on the characters and the plot. So with that being said, now it is time for Agnes's Adventures in France or Misadventures in France, shall I say so? So I was a bit worried that you were going to tell me that um, because with all of the, the the New Year's festivities, I actually have a little bit of a brain fog, like a memory wipe kind of. I don't actually remember a lot, but I will I will tell you, I guess the split second that happened right after that guy had found me yeah. in southern France out of all things during the holidays. He said I found you, and then suddenly, before I could react, he suddenly sweeps me up and just kisses me. (gasps) (laughs) I was, like, shocked. I don't know who this man is. I can't see him. It's really dark. And it feels very volatile. And I don't know what it is, but I felt something slithered from through my lips and down into, and then up, like, my nose canal. And then something clicked in my brain. And the moment we parted, it was not a nice kiss, by the way. I felt like my brain started to fog up and that it's, it started, I started to see black spots in my vision. And all of a sudden, I careen over and I fall to the pavement and I black out. Was that your first kiss? I, I don't know, man. I'm not about to reveal that to you right now. Um, there are more dice things at hand. That basically. would be very um, tragic if that was your first kiss. That's all I want to say. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I woke up, I found myself not in the right place that I was, but in a very cold place. In a very cold place where there are brick There's brick around me. It's not underground. It's a high vaunted ceiling with glass stained windows that reach high and high above me. And I realize that I am in the hallways of a very quiet and seemingly abandoned abbey with no memory or recognition of how I got there. And that's where we'll end the story today because we're out of time. And also because I have brain frog and I'm still trying to process (laughs) whatever happened then. So there you go. All right, well, you better remember for the next week because we're going to be demanding more. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for uh, the Girl Taco episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed the topic as well as, you know, once again, being angry at Agnes for cutting us off like that. And I hope you guys will be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.